The football pod with Paddy and Andy. The amount of people looking for Andy Moore around Positano. It, it was all the rage. They're asking about what he's going to do next. When's the next episode out? The football pod's gone international. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. And you're very welcome along to The Snap, your American football show here on Off The Ball. I'm Ronan Mullen with you this week and every week to recap the week that was in the NFL and beyond. Joining me as ever is my partner in crime on this Thursday afternoon, Keen Fai. Keen, how are things? I'm brilliant. The weather down here is like Spain. It's beautiful. Perfect NFL viewing weather. Are you? Uh, what was your week two viewing like? Any particular takeaways? Um, okay, so I, I guess the big question everyone's asking in going into week two, are the Raiders for real? And it feels like they are. I know they upset you in week one running. They made you feel, they made you feel bad on Monday night. You sit up and watched it and the Ravens came, went in and lost. But it looks like they're a really good team. And even without Josh Jacobs, they went into Pittsburgh and won that game. And got to be impressed with what they did. So they're, they're interestingly, they're looking like a rounded team. And because the Broncos won as well, I think the AFC West is now like the comfortably the best division in football and I think it's going to sustain I think they're going to be good throughout the regular season at least even if they're not like contenders for at the end of the year but it makes it really interesting now because like you would have assumed there it's Patrick Mahomes Justin Herbert and then the other two teams you can just forget about but Bridgewater settled things and the Raiders are coming together so maybe the AFC West is what we're going to be watching for the rest of the year No it's true and I love last week we had to frame everything as sort of overreactions we, we have to hedge our bets and say it's only one week to work with but now we've got a huge body of work to work with Keen. we can draw huge conclusions from, from two weeks so we're going to get into what teams you're buying and what teams you're selling in terms of the magnificent seven undefeated teams left but I should remind you we are brought to you as ever in association with the Erlingus College Football Classic Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Viva Stadium on Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Check out com for full details. Their brand new website is there waiting for you. So, Keen, as I said, we're, we're going to look through these teams. Maybe uh, just a quick fire round here to maybe tell fans of these teams whether they should stick with it, should they get hyped up, should they book their tickets to the Super Bowl early next year. So I'm going to start with the ones that seem fairly straightforward. So we're going to actually do these as a pair because we're going to circle back to the Rams and the Bucks later in the show. But I think it's fair to say you're on board with these two teams going the long way. Yeah, to a different degree. Um, the Buccaneers are probably the best team in the league, at least they're in the top three in those group who you expect to be in the championship games. If they're not in the championship game, it's a failure of a year. The Rams are probably just below that and pushing towards the championship game. Like, I, I, how many teams in the NFC would you favour the Rams over in a championship game? Probably not that many. No, like, I think most people, I think yourself included, picked a repeat of the Super Bowl for, for next year's Super Bowl, so a rerun of Bucks against Chiefs, but the wild card in that equation was the Rams. I think a lot of people were enamoured by obviously the signing of Stafford and all that went with that, but no, as you said, they, I think they're, they're well equipped, it's just they're not overly deep and maybe their, um, their strength in defence isn't quite what it was. So it, they're definitely one to keep an eye on, but they have started the season quite well. Tough division too, they're in. Yeah, totally. So, uh, just for posterity, Keen, are you buying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Oh, yeah. We're buying the uh, Buccaneers and we're buying the Rams. Oh, we've got graphic sound effects and everything. Smashing out this week. Yeah, I tried to get the Supermarket Sweep theme music, but we, uh, we couldn't clear the copyright in time, so this is, what we're, this is what we're going with. This is where it gets a bit more interesting. I know you've got a, a huge grow for the Arizona Cardinals, but where did they picture in in terms of a sustainable model for this NFL season? 
Wait, do we have a sound effect for in between if I don't have a, a strong take one way or the other? We sure That's kind of what we're feeling. <laughs> That's kind of what we're feeling with this Cardinals team. Um, week one was that explosion. Everyone saw Kyler Murray amazing. It's exactly what we wanted to see and we wanted that to sustain. And week two looked like the same old Cardinals. Like they should be one and one. They shouldn't be two and all. They missed field goal at the end of the game, bailed them out. And it's the kind of thing they did a lot last year where they would be the team missing the field goals. But either way, it's, it's something that it's hard to buy into them right now. Like, I think they'll make the playoffs, which is an improvement on last year. I think they'll probably lose their first playoff game unless something dramatically changes just because they're still so sloppy. Murray had a couple of crazy decisions in that game. The play calling still wasn't great. and Defensively, they weren't as good as they were the previous week. So it's just a level of inconsistency. So I guess I'm selling I'm leaning towards. I've talked myself into this. So there you go. I can't believe that. I thought you were number one Cardinals or Cardinals fans. That's, uh, I have to say that's surprised me, but... Uh, our sound effects department were on cue there, they, they nailed it. So let's move on quickly to the Raiders. We touched them at the top of the show, Kane. Like buying or selling, I think we have to be sort of relative with the Raiders. I don't think anyone was expecting them to be challenging Super Bowl-wise. But as, a, as an outfit in terms of making like vast improvements from last season, what, what are your thoughts? Oof. Isn't that, this is the difficulty of like the NFL, though, isn't it? Because the Raiders look like a team who could be this year's regular season surprise where they go 13 and 4 or they go 14 and 3 or whatever it is and they become a, a top seed in the AFC but you still wouldn't pick them in the playoff games against the very best teams in the league just because of Carr and because of just the weak points that they have and the lack of experience they have in the playoffs so uh, I, I'm probably leaning towards buying just because I know they'll have a good regular season but it's, it's one I'm kind of agonising over you really put the tough ones at the start here for me so I have, to, I have to hold you to it here, Kane. Are you buying the Raiders? I'm just scared now because we've got sound effects. Uh, are they holding over, hand over the button right now waiting for me to go one more? Well, JP's trigger happy. We all know that. So let's just... Come on. I'm buying. Okay. There we go. I like the way you're getting away with all this. Listen, you don't have to do any buying or selling. You're, no one wants to hear my analysis. They wanna, people are actually put bets on the basis of what you tell them, Kane. So that's, this is very important stuff. Um, More people. The Broncos. So Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Tudloves as he's known. Um, one of the very best passers in the NFL this season, ranks second in ESPN's QBR. Do you think, is he just a game manager, is he a facilitator, or are we seeing the rebirth of Teddy Bridgewater? Can he actually do something with this Broncos team? The only question with Teddy has always been his health since his knee injury, and that was the problem last year in Carolina, really. like His performances last year were generally pretty good. He's an incredibly intelligent quarterback, an incredibly aware and poised quarterback in the pocket, and he's brilliant on intermediate routes. And that's kind of perfect for what the Broncos have been doing, where those receivers are really good at getting open at that level of the field, and it's just meshed really well. The question mark for them is they've beaten two teams who aren't necessarily impressive. They haven't like gone out and, and competed with a, a team that can actually put it up to them and challenge them. Bradley Chubb's injury is a big concern. He's having ankle surgery. He's a massive part of their defense. But in overall, like the defense is playing really well. The quarterback is good. The receivers are good. They've got a quality running game. The offensive line has been effective. I've got to buy them. There's no reason to go against them. It's buying them, JP. It's buying them. And then, last but not least, you mentioned Carolina and Sam Darnold. Who maybe maybe Sam Darnold wasn't the problem, Kane. Maybe maybe the Jets are just terrible. But he's uh, he's certainly looking all right in this system where maybe his decision making isn't being lent upon. And obviously, Christian McCaffrey's a ridiculous player. So. I think the Carolina look quite impressive. Are you, are you on board with them? JP, just hit the sell button and let's move on. He's not having it. Right. From the, the sublime to the even more sublime, let's get into the pick six. 
Yeah, I think that's the sound effect everybody was really waiting for. And similarly, Keen, like we've left the people waiting long enough. One of the greatest games ever played on the gridiron when Lamar Jackson stared Patrick Mahomes in the eyes and said, not tonight, not tonight. He was outstanding. His picks notwithstanding, obviously, but he was just like, talk about a defining game. For an MVP, a former MVP, to maybe have his defining game a couple of seasons later, he really showed up in this one, and uh, as much as I was trying to play down the Ravens' chances, even talking about high draft picks next season, I think I'm back on board, and I hope you are too. Well, I'm going to defer to you. Let's see how you feel. Like that, that late fumble, was it lucky? Are you just getting away with what you're getting away with? Going for it in fourth down obviously worked out, but were you not grasping just to get over the line? Ah, uh, well, like my main takeaway from it was, and it's a knock that everybody had on Lamar, justifiably so, was the this Ravens team isn't really built to play from behind. And they've dug an almighty hole for themselves, obviously, with that early interception. Should have been a touchdown, he missed a wide open throw. And then, obviously, the, the Chiefs went ahead, as is their want. So, like, you always fear the worst. Once the Chiefs start building up a lead, the Ravens aren't necessarily equipped to overturn it. But on this one, they just hung in there. He's very impressed by Lamar's mentality. The new running back core, which was cobbled together at four days' notice, looked pretty impressive. Even Devontae Freeman was running like a man that, from 2014. So it's all, all quite impressive. Needless to say, the defense has been decimated. Um, I think I'm, I'm most obsessed with the, the DBs and, and the Ravens. I don't think I'd swap anyone for Marlon Humphrey. He's just lights out. But elsewhere, I thought Everett stepped up really well and... It was actually the the rookie Owe who made that crucial intervention to, to turn over the ball. So I think the Ravens have built such a good culture, and you can cut me off, Keane, if this is totally naff, but I think the, the Ravens have built a culture where it is a next man up mentality. And even I think I think John Harbaugh's only had one losing season. So despite the wounds of war and losing the likes of Marcus Peters, who as much as is a brilliant player and individual, he's a, he's a real character in that locker room. So. All that in one sort of pot, I, I, I think I'm very happy with the Ravens and they look like the pick of that division at the moment. Yeah, John Harbaugh is a great coach and they've sustained success for a long time with different personnel because of him largely. One of the reasons he's a good coach is because he lets his coordinators do what they, what they do. He doesn't interfere for the sake of interfering. But that can actually be the one negative that he has as well because when you look at Don Martindale and that defensive game planning and the overly aggressive uh, play calling and approach, that's always been the downfall for them. And again, like they gave up a huge point total in this game, so it's not like they shut the Chiefs down. But the changeover on defense to me was what really stood out. And maybe it's because Marcus Peters was out, but they seem they seem to be a little bit more uh, cautious in how they approach Tyreek Hill. They actually tried to keep the safety over him and actually take him out of the game, which always opens up other opportunities elsewhere. But it's something you've just got to do against the Chiefs that they didn't do in previous years, which allowed the Chiefs to just put up huge numbers. Like, if we go back to last year's regular season game, you'll remember a bunch of those touchdowns that Mahomes threw. It was when there was seven and eight defenders coming at him, and he just had one-on-one everywhere. So, like, that's never going to work. So once they made that slight adjustment, that was the big takeaway for me. But still, that game felt like it could have just gone in either direction. Like, if it it had gone for an extra minute or two, we could have had three more different uh, lead changes. You know what I mean? We've had some crazy games this year, and that one was right up there. But I I think both of these teams are going to be having a big mark in the playoffs. Uh, You mentioned Devonta Freeman. The fact that he can look like that is largely down to Lamar. And this is one of the things that never gets talked about. As a running back next to Lamar Jackson, 
you pretty much have to do nothing. You just have to hit the hole because the hole's going to be there because of the way they have to approach and prioritize Jackson. So Freeman is sprinting at full speed as he's going through his offensive line. That means that he looks faster than he ever has because he doesn't have to make any reads. He doesn't have to make any adjustments. He doesn't have to turn and change direction. He doesn't have to read the block in front of him. He's just got to hit that hole. And that's Lamar's impact. And that's the layered impact that he has and why missing your running backs won't be as big of a deal and why that offense always has a really high floor regardless of the struggles that they have as at receiver and sometimes in pass protection. Yeah, and like it's actually a really interesting running back room they've got there with Murray, Freeman. I think when it all shakes out, he'll be the third-tier option. But if Le'Veon Bell can recapture even, I don't know, 60% of his best stuff, as you said, what Lamar's running game is going to open up for Bell in the passing game and the running game, I'm very excited to see. So just hopefully they can sort of rejuvenate him in some capacity. I don't think anyone's going to be expecting the Ravens to be leaning on him to win swathes of games, but I think he can be a game-breaker when it all boils down. I don't know if you have any comment on that, Keen, but I do, was actually interested to ask you about the Chiefs' run defence. Like they're, They've come up against, in fairness, the Browns and the Ravens, possibly the two best running games in the league. But are there genuine concerns there? I don't know if you've picked up anything from a tactical point of view on what they're doing. Well, they're general. I think there are overall concerns there. I don't think the defense there is especially great anyway. Like they're reliant on Mahomes and the offense setting the tone, forcing the other team to try and chase a lead. So they're not really built to stop the run. Never have been. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to take last week's game or even the weekend before because of how good those running games are. And it's not just because of how good they are; it's because of how different they are to everyone else. Like you're just never seeing anything else like Lamar, and you're rarely going to see anything like that Nick Chubb running game where you can also bring in Kareem Hunt. Like we kind of overlooked that with the Browns, where they have two legitimate top 10, 12 running backs, and we just kind of forget about Kareem Hunt because of how good uh, Nick Chubb is and because he plays such a limited role. The point about Le'Veon Bell, one of the interesting aspects of Le'Veon Bell is he came out of college as like a really big back, and during his rookie season, he was a big, heavy guy, and he became quicker because he lost weight, and he became the space player and this really exciting finesse running back. I do wonder like if they manage him in such a way and make him just a between-the-tackles runner, he could be very valuable doing that again. Like he, does, he Obviously, we know he doesn't need to be great. He doesn't need to be starter quality. But if he just shows his intelligence and the way he reads blocks, and like he doesn't have to always do that, like I said already, but if he shows that intelligence between the tackles, that could be enough for an offense that if Lamar is going to be running for 100-plus yards and throwing for 200-plus, I think I saw he was the four, he's done it four times in his career now, throwing for over 200 yards and run for over 100 yards in the same game. And like that's the most in NFL history already. The guy's been in the league for, what, four years, three years? It's crazy. No, no, I agree, Keen. He's the greatest living human. So Lamar than a feeling, for those who are listening rather than viewing, Lamar than a feeling. Ed Reed is the greatest living human. Ah, well, I love Ed Reed. You don't, don't make me choose. But um, Sleepless in Seattle is number two, and back in front of the Twelves, as they like to call themselves. I don't like these nicknames that people give themselves, Keen, but they, they like to make much play of their fervent atmosphere and how much of a game-changer it is. Didn't do them much good last week, where um, the whole Let Russ Cook movement kind of, uh, I think he burnt the food in the second half, so they didn't look too good. And the Titans, who I was ready to write off last week, Derrick Henry came bursting back into proceedings. So what was your overall thoughts on that game? I don't feel like you've got standing to complain about anyone's nicknames when you're creating a pick six of puns every week and your own self-created segment. Come Listen, on, man. This is, uh, this is peak journalism. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a really important game for Derek Henry because he had been shut down in the first week and because it looked like he was going to be shut down again at the beginning of that game and early in that game. <laughs> couple of big drops there that were, that were, that were troubling. Um, Julio Jones had a rebound after being quiet in the first week. 
But uh, AJ Brown had a big drop on a perfectly thrown deep ball from Tannehill. Tannehill hit a couple of incredible deep shots in that game. It, it, it did feel like watching it that the Seahawks were always the better team and the Seahawks were just much better over and over. And then at the end, you were like, how are the Seahawks losing? And the Titans had just grounded out and kept going, kept running the ball. And the defensively for the Titans, it's still such a major, major problem. It's very hard to buy into that team as the defense continues to go. It feels like they hit their peak last year, and it obviously wasn't good enough to, to win the whole Super Bowl last year. Uh, so it, it's going to be a very interesting season for them in that regard. I think the, the having Derrick Henry and just relying on Derrick Henry and getting him to have these big games, it's going to be vital for the offensive coordinator to stay disciplined and stay giving him the ball because they didn't do it in week one. Once they did it in week two, they got rewards. So... Yeah, it, it kind of played out as you'd expect it to play, except for the end result. I thought the Seahawks would have, would have sucked out the victory, but it was a great win for the Titans on the road. Yeah, and you talk about the... Um, we were mentioning the 2-0 and o teams at the top of the show, and the Seahawks were very close to, to joining that pack, and we, the, we talk about the stacked nature of that division as well, and they all would have been sitting pretty with, with those immaculate leads, and as you said, it, it felt like a game Seattle lost more than the Titans won, but credit to them, Tennessee have been there thereabouts for the last few years, as I know, uh, to my detriment. So there, I expect them to make some noise as the season progresses. We'll get into number three on the pick six, Carson Wentz. You like that one, Keen? Carson Wentz. I think we've used that one many times before. I, I don't think we have. I don't think we have. I check back. But because uh, Carson Wentz, oh, do you, do you, Carson Wentz has been. Please tell me you Carson Wentz. Please tell me you've got a sheet when there are all these go into, and there's every week you know what puns you. It's actually an Excel spreadsheet, but Carson Carson Wentz has been so bad that we haven't had a chance to use him in, in the pick six so far. So, uh, <laughs> what do you think though? Like he sprained both ankles. It's the most absurd injury I've ever heard. So Aaron Do or Aaron Donald obviously fell on him for the for the latter injury, but he's been reported to have sprained both ankles. He's very questionable for this week. Doesn't look like a long term injury, thankfully, because as much as we can talk about his qualities, I rated him in the early part of his career, I, I think you were slightly on the opposite side of the spectrum. But regardless of um where we rate him talent wise, he's been very unfortunate with injuries. He basically had an MVP season derailed and Nick Foles came in and took all the credit. So I, I'm, I hope he just gets a, a run of games to maybe prove people right or wrong one way or the other. But uh, what have you made of him? I don't know if you've seen much of the Colts so far, but uh, what have you thought of his re-link up with Frank Reich? Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of gone as expected, but it's, a, it, it's kind of what you're talking about. His body has broken down quite a bit. And I don't know... like. So there is a lot of analysis and study and science behind if injury prone exists, if the idea of someone just naturally being hurt all the time and injured is something that they are. Like I know for myself from my own personal experience where I tore my ACL, damaged cartilage, and because of that I started getting hamstring tears because of the knock-on of the extra excess strain that goes in your hamstrings when your knee is, 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 uh, isn't as effective, so it's, it's compensating. So I think it's stuff like that with Wentz where he had a major injury in college and that, then he had a major injury his rookie year, actually before his rookie year, then he had a second major injury during his rookie year, and then he had a major injury in his second year. So I think the one keeps adding on to the next one each time. So that's the major issue. Uh, the NFL is just such a... I think it was Bomani Jones who pointed out that you can sprain both your ankles severely, and the, the status is still day to day. You might play next week. It's the only sport in the world where it's like, I can't walk, but you still might play next week. And the injury was... It's something that happens at Wentz, and this is another thing we've talked about. Like, if you go back to we were just talking about with the Seahawks, Russell Wilson is a small quarterback, so the talk around his career, early in his career, was, oh, he'll be durable to injury, or he won't be durable, he'll get injured a lot, he'll be susceptible to, to getting hurt. 
and he never has because he doesn't get hit. And when he does get hit, he goes down and he, he protects himself and he goes down in a compact manner. When Wentz gets hit, his limbs are everywhere. He's flailing around there in, in the space. And like he's a big, heavy quarterback. It's just the way he carries himself and the way he plays. And for that ankle injury, he's trying to throw the ball away as he's being dragged down to a receiver in the flat. And you see the one ankle get kind of tagged underneath the body and twist in, a ha- in an awful way. And it looked terrible. And immediately you're like, yeah, that's a bad injury. And then you look at from the other angle and you see, oh, the other ankle's kind of in a bad spot too. And it, it's, it's so un- unusual to watch. I can't think of a comparison. I've been trying to think of a comparison across different sports. I don't know if you have one of a player who's just so awkward and so it, it, uh, looks so unathletic, I guess is the best way to put it, and so uncoordinated that it feels like he's injuring himself half the time. Yeah, he definitely puts himself in the line of fire and I think former quarterbacks will often tell you it's less outside the pocket, it's more when you're inside yeah. the pocket, those blind blindside shots. And it actually is he's actually out in the field more, like in terms of he gets his injuries or tends to get them when he's when he's out and about uh, scrambling. But in these instances he was just I think it was more misfortune than um than anything else. Which I like touch wood, like I don't know if um at a certain point, you have to protect yourself, and he hasn't always done the best job of that. Just briefly on the Colts game, because I know there are a lot of Colts fans in Ireland, not least because of Peyton Manning and now latterly because of Pat McAfee, but we do get a bit of Colts interaction. What have you made of their project in recent years, and, and where is it at now? Because like the, the Josh McDaniels things, well documented, um, Andrew Luck, needless to say, their marquee man who they basically gave up Manning for to, to basically bet their house on. On Andrew Luck is no longer there. Obviously, they're they're riding with Wentz at the moment. Reasons to be cheerful for the Colts, or, or where do you sit on them? When they went and signed Philip Rivers, that was kind of the problem for me because not because Philip Rivers is a bad player, you don't want to have Philip Rivers. It's just because it was a short-term patch-up job. And in the NFL, if you do a short-term patch-up job on your quarterback position, you're always going to be doing a short-term patch-up job because they're not going to last, and you're not going to be in a position to draft a top rookie or so well. You're not going to trade for a top quarterback or sign a top quarterback anyway. This is very, very rare, an unusual case. But it's it felt like that with Jim Mercer, where they haven't really been trying to build for the long term. They've been trying to rush their way to a Super Bowl, and that's just not the way it happens. That's not the way it works in football. Luck, I I know a lot of people will blame the Colts and they'll say, oh, the offensive line wasn't good enough, and that's what got him hurt. I tend not to buy into that. I think Luck got hurt, and NFL quarterbacks get hurt. That's just a normal thing. But I also think it was just that Luck was that kind of a character. Like, this is a guy who used to finish an NFL game. Actually, he'd be getting hit by other linemen in in the game, and he'd be congratulating them on how hard he hit him. And he'd be talking to them and laughing, joking with them. He was a different character. And then he'd get off the... He'd finish the game, get off, sit in the bus, and he'd take out a book, and he'd be reading it, and it'd be about the different types of rocks that exist in, in volcanoes. Like, when... Or, Luck was just a different guy. So him retiring early was not a shock to me. But the physical toll on his body was obviously a factor. And we can actually go straight back to Wentz as an example there because as we were talking about Wentz, I was reminded that during his second year when he was like the the MVP talk just before he tore his ACL, they played the Carolina Panthers in Carolina. I think it was Thursday Night Football. And Wentz scored a touchdown where he ran right over Thomas Davis. And Thomas Davis, if you don't know who it is, is one of the biggest, most athletic linebackers to play in the NFL for the last 20 years. And it was close enough to his peak where him getting run over by a quarterback was astonishing. And Wentz has gone from, in in a matter of five years, has gone from that kind of an athlete to a guy who just looks like he's going to break every time he gets hit. And that's kind of been the story for the the Colts lately because 
they had luck go he got he got injured philip rivers was essentially at the very end of his career and he was looks like he was going to break every time he got hit and now wentz is the same thing so i think they they're trying to take shortcuts they're trying to skip a skip the building process even the trade for deforest buckner was kind of skipping the, the building process even though i would say that has worked out overall I, they, they didn't spend the cap space that they had over a couple of years ago when they had 13, 40 million to actually really build out a team. And I think they've left opportunities behind them. I, I, they'll probably be entering another rebuild once Wentz is gone, but who knows what that's going to look like and when that's going to happen. Yeah, and even I think only for Luck came out in the offseason and totally put to bed any notion that he was making a comeback, that was always sort of whirling around that they were kind of hoping it or holding out hope that he might make some sort of U-turn and make a return, but... I think that's uh, firmly been put to bed now. Number four in the pick six, uh, fair warning, this is a terrible pun. Don't stop believing. This is the Bills, Keen, who um, I, I said last week that you sort of wrote them off in our previous show, but that was ne- wasn't necessarily true. But you were making the point contrary to what a lot of people were saying, which was that the Bills are, are right up there with the Chiefs and, you know, obviously AFC Championship game last year. I think a lot of people had misgivings, though, after that championship game where they didn't really turn up and they flattered to deceive after beating the Ravens. Um, but they did have a comprehensive win, and my thoughts on it, this is the win against the Dolphins at the weekend, I should say, it was more of a, it reflected more on the Dolphins than the Bills. Would you go along with that, or were you impressed by what they did? I tend to agree with you. I think they weren't, like, they were good. Like, obviously, they blew an NFL team out and they did it on the road. Like, they were pretty good. But it wasn't like a big statement game. It wasn't like we're taking over here. Tua getting injured probably put a different shine on the whole thing. I think Brissett would probably be better for the Dolphins than Tua is. But when you come in off the bench in the middle of a game, you haven't had a week of practice, you haven't had a proper game plan, you're not going to be effective in that scenario. I don't know. You you, you saw enough of Brissett in Indianapolis and you've seen enough of Tua. Would you really want to put Tua back in? Or would you like, I know he's injured, he's gonna, not going to play this week. But after that, do you think they'll be looking at Brissett going forward? Yeah, like Brissett, speaking of Philip Rivers, I thought he was very unfortunate to lose the job. I thought he was a more talented quarterback in that situation as well. And I liked too when he was when he was coming out. I thought um, I probably would have picked him ahead of Burroughs at the same draft class. Yeah. So and then it's been like a, a series of of an, another series of misfortunes for him. So I don't know to what extent that injury that he that plagued him towards the end of his college years is actually a factor here, or maybe he's just not that talented. You'd, you'd have a keener eye for, for the intricacies of the whole thing, but do you think, is he one of these sort of busted flushes that's probably never going to make it as a uh, number one choice quarterback? I think it was kind of similar to Joe Burrow, but not, not to say that Joe Burrow isn't a great talent, because he is, but it was similar to Joe Burrow in that Tua was winning every game at Alabama at a really high-profile college, and he had a bunch of receivers around him who could make incredible plays. When you actually kind of isolated his ability, he was quite a weak-armed quarterback who could run a little bit but wasn't a great athlete, who made decent decisions but wasn't like cutting the defenses open and doing really high-level NFL-style plays. So I don't think the ceiling was ever especially high, and then you add in the hip injury. And the hip injury to me was terrifying because, like, you get a, a dislocated hip uh, in your 60s and it's like, yeah, okay, people expect that because you're 60 years of age and you're starting to be fragile and there's long-term ramifications of that. You get it in your 20s and then you go play a sport that is essentially crashing cars into each other every Sunday. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that he got back to where he got back to last year to be ready to play and fair play to him that he did. Like, it was impressive uh, and the medical staff there obviously deserve a lot of credit too. And this injury now is ribs, so it's got nothing to do with his hip. But similar to like we were saying with Wentz, 
I'm just wondering, does he keep getting more punishment and does, does the more punishment add to body breaking down even further? And it's not even that. It's that Tua needs time to develop on the field. He needs to play it to get better and better because what he's shown us so far has been pretty bad. It's very hard to be optimistic about the quarterback position there unless Brissett comes in. And I, I think it'll be interesting how they handle Brissett because Brissett in Indianapolis had a phenomenal deep ball, was really good at like uh, hitting a play action and managing the game, not throwing interceptions, control and making the right decision at the right time, making the right reads, getting the ball out. He, he actually used to get criticized for taking too many sacks in Indianapolis, but a lot of that was scheme and coverage. He wasn't really at fault all that often. So I think if they handle him properly, it could be really good. But if they kind of put him into a shotgun offense all the time and spread the field and have four and five receivers and ask him to make five and six-yard passes over and over again, that's not going to work. So it really comes down to, is the offensive coordinator there going to adjust to what he has and make the, make the changes based on the new quarterback? Hopefully he does, because... The AFC East, it could be interesting. The AFC, like, okay, forget about the Jets. They're irrelevant. But it could be a really interesting division because I think you've got the Bills there who are probably the best team in the division, the Patriots who are right behind them, and then the Dolphins have enough talent, even though the defense just got absolutely destroyed. They have enough talent overall to suggest that they could push the other two teams. So you could have three, a three-team competition there for the division if things play out the way we want them to play out. Then again, the Bills could have this wrapped up in six weeks. Yeah, and there was some insinuation that... Dolphins were still in sweepstakes for Deshaun Watson. To what extent that is true, I don't know. I think um, probably damaged goods for for the foreseeable future. I, it's very unlikely that Watson will play again in Houston. Whether he plays again full stop, I think remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, the Bills are, are one to keep an eye on anyway. We'll see. Like they've, they, they kind of blew people away last year, but whether they can build on that in, in any meaningful way, we'll have to hold fire, I think. Number five in the pick I six. I suppose... Uh, Go on. I suppose we have to remember that uh, the Miami Dolphins are in Florida and people in Florida do crazy things. So Watson may not be off the table. This is true. This is true. Uh, number five in the pick six, Soldier Fields. And I'm not even a Bears fan, but I was one of those banging the drum for him to start the season because I don't mind Andy Dalton. He's a, he's a decent, serviceable quarterback, but he's not going to light the fire that the Bears fans want. And I think everybody's kind of keen to see Justin Fields. And to my evaluation, anyway, I thought he was second best quarterback out of that draft class and, and didn't pan out that way and having sort of been him and Trevor Lawrence were one and two for a long time he fell right then the, the pecking order and fell to the Bears in a, in a sort of nice position so they're going to get to see him now are you excited about the prospect of Justin Fields? It's safe to say the this class of rookies hasn't exactly set the world alight yet Yeah, it's been surprising hasn't it? and actually it would be kind of a sweet irony here if Fields is the one guy who has a big game or has some, some consistent success because he was the guy, as always is with the black prospects, that he gets told he's not ready for the NFL and the other guys are. He's similar to, uh, actually similar to Trubisky in many ways because he has that same athleticism and that arm talent. So a lot of this will come down to how the coaching staff manages him because I think they messed up a lot with Trubisky. That doesn't mean Trubisky could have been a good quarterback or he was only bad because of them. But it's the way you manage your quarterback really matters, especially when they're young. Feels uh, like they've talked about him as a Lamar Jackson type where he can run the ball a little bit and he can throw the ball deep. He's got a good arm. He showed off his arm in that debut. But any comparison like that needs to be held back a little bit because he's also very raw. He, he made a couple of awful decisions in that uh, game. They're not decisions you kill him for because he's a rookie making his debut. Like that's that's supposed to happen. That interception was a product of the defense showing an all-out blitz and then dropping a defender from the defensive line into the passing lane because they could predict where he was going to throw the ball based on him being inexperienced and how he would react. 
and that kind of summed up the game and it summed up how it went for him. Hopefully the coaching staff protects him this week and looks after him, but it's going to be a challenge because you've got that defensive line coming after you. You've got Miles Garrett coming off the edge. It, it, it's an interesting game and, and one I'll actually look forward to watching. I, I like You like them coming out of college. The upside is obviously there. I see I see that too. And I, Hopefully, at the very least, we might see him a couple of times on red zone hitting some big touchdowns and hitting some big plays because he's definitely an exciting option. And actually, that's one of the things I was thinking about. The commentary on one of the games I was watching at the weekend said after a quarterback made a really athletic play in the backfield and escaped the rush and made a throw on the run, he said, oh, there's only four or five guys in the league who can do that. We've reached a point now where there's probably four or five guys in the league who can't do that. <laughs> Everyone now is like an athlete, a quarterback. I, I'm trying to think Mac Jones, I guess, is a beer belly. Outside of that, there's no one else there who's like just standing still and catching and passing the ball. Yeah, I know the the old sneaky athletic term. I think most people have that prefix now. If they can move whatsoever in the pocket. They're they're all getting that. So I remember Joe Flacco used to be called sneaky athletic, even though he was, you know, he's always picking up first downs with his feet. So not not all that sneaky. If the defense hadn't worked that out at that stage, they probably never were gonna. Um, Long strider. Exactly. So that's actually one of your picks for this week. One of your top three games, Keen. That is Bears at Browns. The Browns are seven point favorites. Who are you picking there? Um, I, I think I went with the Browns in the end, but it's 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 going to be relatively close. I think they'll just get too many mistakes from Fields, and they'll be able to take advantage of them. Hopefully, the Bears get a good start because you'd assume by the time the second half comes, they'll be able to uh, kind of wear the offense down a little bit. But if they get a good start, it'll keep the game close. The Browns should cover them. And then, lastly, in the pick six, uh, the Empire strikes back, and I think there's a bit of keenness about seeing what the Patriots do. And this is the second of uh, your your games for this weekend: the Pats and the Saints. Like, this is the first time in a long time where Belichick's had uh, plenty of toys to play with. He's not sort of hampered by the cap trouble he had post-Brady last year. And Mac Jones, I don't know, like, it was quite a boring stat line Jones put up last weekend. But I'm sure Belichick was thrilled by that because it just points to the machinations of his brain and the fact that he's manoeuvring the Patriots into position. But what have you made of them so far? Obviously, it's going to be the, the talking point next week when the Bucks play the Pats. But... What have you made of the new New England project? They've been a bit boring, really, aren't they? They're just kind of playing defense and getting by on offense, and that's kind of what Belichick, Belichick wants to do because he knows he can't throw the ball all over the field with this rookie quarterback. But let's not jump past the real point here. What about Jameis? I thought we were buying in on Jameis, <laughs> and Jameis is gone now. The Saints are, are back to being bad. and we're, we're like they, they lost to Sam Darnold, the, the great Sam Darnold and the Panthers. I thought we were buying in on Jameis. What was the story there? Do you think did we overhype his renewed decision-making faculties, or was this a one-off? Is it too early to judge? I think the coaching staff. Um, so the story entering the game was seven of the Saints' coaching staff had COVID, so they weren't actually there. And I think Sean Payton is a very complex way of working, and it's not. And, and while he's the one calling the plays, or Pete Carmichael, whoever whoever is there calling the plays. I think they're such a precise and such a, a well-thought-out offense that they're the worst team in the league, or the last team in the league who wants to lose half of their offensive staff because everything gets looked at and everything gets done in very specific ways. But essentially, and that, that's kind of why the one major concern I've always had with Peyton is he doesn't give the ball to Alvin Kamara enough. And Kamara had 12 touches, I think, last week. You have to just rely on him. That has to be their game plan now. No longer do they have Drew Brees where they can go in and throw the ball 50 times if they want to. This is an Alvin Kamara offense. You can't ask Jameis to be the drop-back passer. That's not who he is. He's not going to carry the team. So that would be why I'm looking at the Patriots this week, and, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but they're ahead of the... Uh, and they're, they're, I think they're minus three. They're better off than the Saints because... 
they have that defence that will take advantage of the opportunities that Jameis gives them. It really comes down to getting the ball to Kamara often enough. And if they don't do that, we saw what happened last week. I think it will be repeated again this week. So you're going with the Pats there? Yeah. Good stuff. And your last pick, or this is the game of the weekend, I think it's, it's safe to say. We said at the top of the show we'd circle back to the NFC West and maybe one last quick fire by or sell before we get to the game itself. The 49ers, Keen. I know all eyes are on the, the Rams and the Bucks this week, but what have you made of the 49ers this season? Um, kind of unusual and kind of uncertain of what they are because George Kittle doesn't seem to be heavily involved when he should be. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is obviously waiting to get benched at some point. He's played relatively well in, in, in his position, but Trey Lance came in that first week and threw the touchdown. I'm I, I don't know what to make of them at this stage. I haven't seen well, I haven't gotten enough from them, I guess, is, is the way I would look at it. Like that Lions game, they blew them out, but then they left them back in at the very end for no apparent reason. I I, I think they're they're a fine football team. They'll be a playoff team. I just don't think they'll be I, I, I guess the like they, they they told you themselves when they traded up to draft a new quarterback that they just don't believe in Garoppolo. And we saw Garoppolo in that Super Bowl. He doesn't really come true when you need him to come true, and that's kind of just who they're going to be for the foreseeable future. And for sound effects fans, Keen, are you buying or selling? Selling. He's selling. But like I was looking at the stats there against the Eagles, um, the average length of throw from Garoppolo downfield was something like three point six yards. So, yeah, much like the Patriots, I don't think they're going to be lighting up many TV screens if you're going to be tuning in for the San Francisco game. Sorry, Jer. But uh, we'll see how things play out in the long run. And it, speaking of that game of the weekend, it, it's just it's a fascinating one. Um, two of the Super Bowl favorites, as we've mentioned throughout our three shows so far, Rams at Bucks. The Bucks are one point five point favorites. So, what way are you leaning there? I'm surprised that that's the line because, like, the Bucks are at home, and I know the Rams are a good team, but the Bucks have been outstanding as far as we can tell. Like Brady had huge touchdown numbers last week, but it's again, it was a team performance that just overwhelms the Falcons, and they did the same to the well, they didn't do the same to the Cowboys. They were they outlasted the Cowboys in Week One. Um, I think from the Rams' point of view, this is like a natural progression of the the beginning of the Matthew Stafford era. So they started off with the Bears, a good defense, not a great defense. They played, uh, God, I'm after forgetting who they played last week, but they also they played the Colts last week, and they had uh, a, a better defense going against uh, going against a better defense there that actually forced more errors from him. And now they're going against a defense that could potentially swarm him and completely shut him down if if he doesn't play well. So. This, for me, is the first time we're really getting a look at what's Matthew Stafford going to bring to the Rams that they didn't have before, because this is a game Jared Goff would have lost. We can just go in there and say Goff is going to be under pressure, they're not going to be able to move the ball consistently, he's not going to make the throws that he needs to make, and the Buccaneers will have too many uh, too many uh, big plays in the opposite direction for the Rams to win. Cooper Cup had a ridiculous game last week, and he just is, is constantly open, constantly there, making big plays after the catch, so getting the ball to him will be a, 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 the focal point for them, and if that happens, then we might have a, a shootout and a really good game. Otherwise, I fear this could be a kind of a wake-up moment for the Rams team where they realise, oh, the Buccaneers are quite a distance ahead of us as a unit, as an overall roster. Yeah, I think it's more an important, it's definitely a more important game for the Rams to win if they can 
managed to do so. So that line again, Bucks at Rams, and the Bucks are one point five point favourites. So this is our competition game for the week. Same system as last week. If you just comment who you think is going to win that one against the spread. If you just comment where you're watching the stream or contact us on social media using the hashtag OTBSnap, we'll dig it out and we'll announce all the winners next week. Um, for now, that's all from us. Thanks to Keen as ever. Thank you. And thanks to JP and Catherine for helping put the show together. And thanks, of course, to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week.